Thanks, Phil. Well, it's great to see you here. Um, I know that uh, it's the last week of semester. You've got things on your mind coming up, like holidays, and it's such a beautiful day that uh, I'd be thinking about holidays too if I was in your position. I know there's a little thing called exams coming up before then, but uh, don't let that worry you too much. Uh, I was told as I came in that two years ago, the last public meeting of the year, Rob Forsyth, who was my former boss, uh, had 14 people at the public meeting. And I've beaten Forsyth, so I'm happy. <laughs> um, I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to look at, uh, just like it's hard to think about a serious subject like exams with the beautiful weather and summer coming on and holidays not far away, uh, it might also be a bit hard for us to get into this topic that we're looking at today, which is on death. Um, but it is an important topic, and so I want to talk about that with you uh, today. Um, I want to raise it uh, and talk about some of the death myths. And as we do that, how about I pray for us? Father, we thank you for the glory of your creation that we see around us, for the sun, for the, the beauty that we see around, uh, for the prospect of holidays coming up. And Father, we pray that you'd help us to uh, look and to understand uh, as we look into your word right now. And I pray that you'd speak to us and challenge us even today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you've got the outline in front of you, you'll see I'm going to start by talking about four death myths, four myths about death, and there's a whole lot of myths about death, but I've only chosen four. Uh, Woody Allen said, I'm not afraid to die, I just don't want to be there when it happens. And I think like Woody, many of us would like to avoid death. In fact, we try and avoid death as much as we possibly can. We don't think about it, we rarely talk about it. We don't see it. In our culture, in our society, people usually die in nursing homes or hospitals where they're sort of hidden away and then their body is taken away and prepared by a funeral director, not by the family, and it's stored in a cold, cold room somewhere and then it's usually put into a box and sealed up, taken off to the crematorium or the church and disposed of. It's all very hidden away from us. Most of the time we don't see it. And so it's hard to think about it. Um, ours is a culture that celebrates youth, and the flip side of that is that we deny death. We, are, we live in a death-denying culture, and so it's very hard for us to accept the fact that we will die. So the first myth about death is that death won't happen to me. Now, with all this uh, stuff in America with the anthrax and so on, um, people are getting really worried over there. And one of the news, American newspapers published, to trust, help people get it in perspective, published an article describing the statistics about how likely you are to die from various different causes. And basically, the article showed that almost anything is more likely to kill you than a terrorist and try to just get people to put it into perspective. But it, got, it gave a whole lot of really interesting figures that I found quite fascinating. For example, it told me that you have a one in 700,000 chance of being killed by a dog. Ex at, unless it's your own dog, in which case you're more than twice as likely to be killed by it. That's a one in 260,000 chance. But bees, you've got a one in, uh, what is it? One in 70,000 chance of being killed by a bee which means bees are much more dangerous to animals than dogs are. Or um, home is a very dangerous place to be. You've got a one in 13,000 chance of dying while you're in the bath. Um, that is 
compared to a 1 in 17,000 chance of being killed by lightning, so having a bath is, a bath is more dangerous than lightning. Um, if, if you are um, sleeping in bed and you roll out of bed, you have a 200, 1 in 255 chance of being killed from a skull fracture fracture, which is a pretty high sort of chance, but hospitals are even more dangerous places. You've got a, the chances of dying from a medical mistake in hospital um, is one in 200. So if you've got any med students here, make sure you're studying well for the sake of the rest of us. If you want to get out of the home because it's too dangerous, steer away from hospital because they're too dangerous, a very safe place to go is an amusement park. You've got a 1 in 450 million chance of being killed on an amusement park ride, which you've got to admit is pretty tiny. Uh, skydiving is also pretty safe. You can expect to jump out of the plane 86,000 times before the parachute fails to open. <laughs> but if you go jogging, you have a 1 in 180 chance of dying while jogging. You've got a 1 in 60 chance of dying while driving a car, unless you're a motor racer, in which case it's safer for you. You've got a 1 in 90 chance of dying. Um, but if we get on to the really scary stuff, the, the really serious killers, in the United States, your chances of being murdered are 1 in 150. In Australia, the statistics are much lower than that. It's closer to 1 in 400. If you're an unborn child in Australia, you have a 1 in 5 chance of being deliberately aborted. You have a 1 in 50 chance of di dying due to drugs. You have a 1 in 5 chance of dying due to heart attack. 1 in 4 from cancer. But the most important statistic of all, if you add all of those together, your chances of dying from something are one, is 100%. 100%. The first myth is that death won't happen to me, but the statistics are overwhelming. It happens to everybody. Okay, second myth. Death is good. Now, the ancient Greeks believed that the body was bad for the soul. At least some of them did. Plato said that death was a good thing. He spoke of uh, a death that it freed the soul to live in a better world. He spoke of uh, death being the release of the soul from the chains of the body. Death, uh, body is like a prison for the soul. And there are hints of that around today in a semi-sort of Christianised form. There's also, of course, now in our in Australian society, very strong influence from Eastern religions and through the New Age movement. And uh, as a result, there's an increasing uh, popularity in belief in reincarnation. And there, it's the belief is that death is sort of a, a move to another state. It's a stage in the development of um, of the person. And so, death death is a good thing because it takes you on to the next stage in your development. On the other hand, turning to something that is uh, really a national tragedy. Suicide is the leading cause of death amongst young adult Australians, and Australia has one of the leading rates of youth suicide in the world. Now, obviously, it would be stupid to say, very insensitive to say that people commit suicide because they think death is good. But what it does show is that clearly there are large numbers of young Australians who feel that their situation in life is so desperate that death is better they think, than the situation they're in. So that's the second myth. The third myth, everyone's happy after death. I don't know if you remember the reaction when, uh, when Princess Di died and how just overwhelming that was, how there were you know, all those crowds of people outside the, her palace where she lived or 
outside Westminster Abbey where the funeral was and all the flowers and, and everything. It was just a massive worldwide grief. I don't know if you remember what people were saying back then, but one of the things that always came through that um, everyone just took for granted was that Diana is in heaven now. No one dared suggest the possibility that there was a judgment or the possibility that she may go to hell rather than heaven. No one even suggested that. Everyone assumed, just took it for granted, she was in heaven. Now, I'm not saying that she's one place or the other. I don't know. But... In the past, there has been an awareness of judgment after death and the possibility of, um, of heaven or hell. Now there's just a bland assumption that unless you've actually murdered somebody, that you're going to heaven. And you see that the typical Aussie funeral, everyone who dies is in a better place now, at least so people say. So that's myth number three, everyone's happy after death. Myth number four, dead people hang around. Now, this is something you, you see so much in the movies. It's a real staple of the movies, whether it's the sinister and scary type movies or whether it's almost the sort of the, the light and fluffy or the romantic comedy or whether it's um, What Lies Beneath or Sixth Sense or Ghost, to go back a little while, or the, in the romantic sort of genre, truly, mad, madly, deeply. Um, or, you know, sort of the comforting words in the Pelican Brief where the guy, the main character there is on a video which his wife will, re will see after he dies and he says, remember, I'm always with you. There's this sort of assumption, there's this, this belief that dead people hang around and continue to exert some sort of influence in the world of the living. Call that myth, myth number four. Let's, um, we're going to come back to these myths, but first of all, let's, let's go to the Bible and see what the Bible teaches about death. And then we'll come back and look at those myths in the light of it. I'm going to go through the Bible from the first book to the last book, quickly skim through. I'm going to skip a lot of books, you'll be pleased to know. And we're going to look at um, death's biography, the birth of death, the life of death, the death of death, and then the future of death. Okay, start with the birth of death. Genesis chapter 2, and we're told there that God created Adam, created the man out of the dust of the ground, and he breathed life into him. He planted a garden and placed Adam in the garden. And there were many trees in the garden, but two of significance, the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And God says to him in Genesis 2.16, You may freely eat of every tree of the garden, including the tree of life, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall die. This is the first time that death is mentioned in the Bible. And the interesting thing about this mention is that it is not a certainty here, it's just a danger. It's a possibility. If you eat, then you will die. It all depends on whether Adam and later Eve as well will obey God or not. Now, I don't think I'm giving the story away too much if I tell you they actually did eat the fruit. And uh, there were a number of consequences of that. The most important is in chapter 319. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread until you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. You are dust, and to dust you shall return. You notice the way that's expressed? It's going to be the exact reversal of the process of creation of the man. When he was created, God took dust, made a body, breathed life into, breathed life into the body, and he became a living being. Now the life will go out of the body, and the body will slowly turn back into dust. Exact reversal of the process of creation. 
So death has gone now from being a possibility to a tragic certainty. We go on and have a look at the life of death. And what we see is something like happened back in 1859 when a man called Thomas Austin had a very, very bad idea. In 1859, Thomas Austin decided to release 24 rabbits into the, onto, uh, into the bush on his property in Winklesea in Victoria. And uh, he thought it would be fun to hunt them. Now, rabbits like to breed, as you know, and within 20 years, the rabbits had picked clean 2 million acres of Victoria, and shortly after that, they had overrun the entire country. Death is a bit like that. Once it was let loose, it went berserk and it took over. Genesis 5 has a genealogy which goes from Adam down through the generations and every step has a formula and the formula goes like this. So-and-so, whether it's Adam or his Seth or whoever, down through the generations, Adam lived for so many years, became the father of whoever his first son was. After the birth... He lived another so many years, had other sons and daughters. Then it sums it up saying all the years of so-and-so were however many years. And then it finishes with saying, and he died. Generation after generation after generation. Ends with those significant words, and he died. And he died. Death has really caught on. Romans 5.12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death came through sin, so death spread to all because all have sinned. As we saw before in Genesis, the sin, uh, we see sin is fatal. Paul says in uh, Romans 6, uh, sorry, Romans 3, uh, the wages of sin is death. All have sinned, therefore all die. Okay, now it's an important question to ask at this stage. What are we talking about when we talk about death? And the Bible actually uses death in a, um, a number of ways and quite subtly at times. Obviously there is physical death and that's you know seen when we, the body returns to dust, that is physical death that was talking about back there in Genesis 3. But it's used in other ways well. Quite often it's used in other ways, especially in the New Testament. Like in Ephesians 2, you were dead through the trespass and sins into which, in which you once lived, following the course of this world, following the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work amongst those who are disobedient. Paul's writing to people who have not physically died, but he says, you were dead. You were dead. And here he's talking about people who are spiritually dead. I think the best way of understanding what this means is to, to understand it in relationship terms. And to give you an example of this, uh, if you were here last week, you would have heard me say that just last month, uh, my wife's brother who we were both very close to, uh, died of melanoma. And he's, um, it was, it's been very hard for all of us, but it's been particularly hard for, obviously, this, the, for his wife, but also for his mother. Um, because uh, she's had to do something that very few people ever have to do, fortunately, and that is actually watch their child die. And um, it's just been a horrendous time for her, and she's still recovering. But um, to make it even worse for her, what has uh, something else that's complicated things is that for other reasons, her relationship with her other son, she has two sons, her relationship with her other son has completely broken down. 
And so now she says, it's like I've lost both sons. It's like both sons have died. One has died spiritually, uh, sorry, physically. The other has, uh, is lost because the relationship has died. Spiritual death is like that. It's like the death of a relationship, but it's the death of the most important relationship that there ever could be for a human being, and that is our relationship with God, our Father. Let me uh, show it on a diagram, just to get really high tech here, if I can find a piece of chalk. Multimedia presentation here. Okay, if you um, have a square like this, divided into four, we have here physically, have here spiritually, you can be physically alive or physically dead. You can be spiritually alive or spiritually spiritually dead. It is possible to be physically alive but spiritually dead. And uh, that's like those people that Paul was writing to in Ephesians 1. It's also possible to be physically dead and yet spiritually alive. And that's what um, the Bible refers to as being asleep in Christ. But the thing is that those two squares there with those crosses in them are not, uh, you don't stay permanently in either one of those. You move, as we'll see in a moment. Okay. Uh, that's the life of death. Let's move on, move on to the next stage in death's biography, the death of death. And here we look at the most important death of all, the death of Jesus. It's impossible to overstate how important the death of Jesus is. Just to get some indication, you notice when you're reading the Gospels that 25%, roughly, in John actually a, a bit more than, that, more than that, but around 25% of the Gospels is spent on the last week in Jesus' life shows just how overwhelmingly significant to the Gospel writers the death of Jesus was. The death of Jesus is the most significant act and the most loving act that has ever been done. The Son of God who existed from all eternity, His Father, came down amongst us, lived in human form, and He alone of all human beings did not sin and therefore He alone did not deserve to die, and yet He chose to die and die on a bloody Roman cross painfully, not for his own sins but for our sins and his death has won for us forgiveness of our sins, it's won for us a right relationship with the Father, it's overthrown the devil and it's won for us the death of death. The death and the resurrection of Jesus dealt a death blow to death. Romans 5, 18 to 21, very significant passage. Therefore, just as one man's trespass led to a condemnation for all, that is, death, so one man's act of righteousness, and here he's talking about Jesus' death, leads to justification and life for all. For just as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. But law came in with the result that trespass multiplied. But where sin increased, Death abounded, uh, sorry, where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that just as sin exercised dominion in death, so grace might also exercise dominion through justification, leading to eternal life 
through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now you can express that whole paragraph very simply in a little diagram. Um, and you notice how Paul's really emphasising the parallel between Adam and Christ. So we have Adam, whose sin led to death, and that spread to all. We have Christ, whose act of righteousness, and that by that Paul means his obedience to his Father going to the cross. And that leads to justification and life for all. It's a very clear parallel between them. What that shows us is that Jesus, what he has done for us on the cross in his death, he has completely undone everything that Adam did in his disobedience. And so the death that human beings were, um, in, was inflicted on human beings for their punishment as a result of sin has now been um, overthrown and justification and eternal life uh, can be ours. Now for the believer there's one thing remaining. We are alive, we are spiritually alive, we are united with God um, but what we wait for is the resurrection of our body. Romans 8, 10 and 11 speaks about exactly this. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the, from the dead dwells in you, that means you are spiritually alive because the Holy Spirit is in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So we can be spiritually... If we're spiritually alive, though we, we may be physically dead, we'll be moved across into this other side, moving from being spiritually alive but physically dead to being both physically and spiritually alive. As I said, you don't stay in those, cr um, crosses, uh, in those squares with the crosses for long, uh, but we'll be raised if we are spiritually alive. Okay, final uh, chapter in death's biography, the death of, uh, sorry, the future of death. Last book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 20, starting at verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne and the one who sat on it. The earth and heaven fled from his presence and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were opened. Also another book was opened, the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works as recorded in the books. And the sea gave up the dead that were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And all were judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. It's a description of the future. It's a courtroom scene and that large throne is the judgment seat and the dead will come and stand before this throne to be judged according to what they have done. The great and the small, it says, will stand before the throne. The great are the presidents, the kings, the media tycoons and, and the, also the average suburban mum and dad or the, you know, an Indian peasant or whoever. Everyone will come, all of us will come and stand before that throne to be judged. And we'll be judged according to what we have done. And all who have sinned 
will be thrown into the lake of fire, which is described as being the second death. So here we see that those who may be physically alive but are spiritually dead will end up over here in this category, both physically and spiritually dead. This is death in its ultimate form, second death. This is what the Bible, uh, what we refer to as hell. Now, people joke about hell. People say, well, it'd be good to be with my friends. You know, at least I'll I'll know a lot of people there. But there'll be no friendship in hell. Uh, There'll be no happiness in hell. The way the Bible speaks about hell, it uses three main images to speak about hell. Uh, Outer darkness, weeping and gnashing of teeth, and fire. Outer darkness means that it is a place of exclusion. It's a place of rejection. The emphasis there is on being left out. Place of weeping and gnashing of teeth, the emphasis there is on the misery. And when it uses the metaphor of fire, what it's emphasising there is it is a place of destruction, ultimate destruction. We all deserve to go there because we have all sinned. And as we've seen right from the beginning, the punishment for sin is death and hell is just the ultimate form of death. But... There are some who escape. In this passage in Revelation 20, there are some who escape. They're the ones whose names are written in the book of life. And we know from elsewhere in Revelation and also from the rest of the Bible that the ones whose names are written in the book of life are the ones who have put their faith in Jesus and have been washed clean. Their sins have been washed clean by his blood. And so for people like you, if you've put your faith in Christ, people like me, we have nothing to be afraid of at the judgment. It's very important to emphasise that. We don't need to be afraid of, um, of what's coming because Jesus has died for us and set us, free from the judge, uh, set us free from condemnation. Now, actually, just going back to this passage one more time, Revelation 20, look at verse 14, and it says there that even death itself, death and Hades, that is, Hades being the place of the dead, will be destroyed in the lake of fire. Even death will be destroyed. And that leads to a future which is described in Revelation 21 for those who are in Christ, which is the most beautiful, uh, imaginable future. It's a very famous passage. I imagine that you're familiar with it. Revelation 21, 1-7. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See, the home, of, the home of God is among human beings. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more for the first, first things have passed away. See, right here at the very end of the Bible, we've come back to the situation we were on We're in at the very beginning where death does not exist. Death is doomed. Death does not have a future. So that is death's biography. Born in the garden when Adam and Eve sinned, flourished and spread because all sinned, dealt a death blow when Jesus died and rose again, and its future is to be destroyed when God destroys all his enemies. Okay, let's go, having had a look at this quick run through the Bible, what it says about death, 
Thanks for your patience on that. Let's go back to those myths and see what does, that tell, what does uh, the Bible tell us about those myths. Well, first of all, death won't happen to me. As I said it before, the statistics are overwhelming on this. So even if you just go from the statistics, it is pretty certain that you are going to die because 100% of human beings before you have. But theologically, there's a reason behind that too. And that is because you have sinned, therefore you will die. Okay, That's the theological reason behind it. Death is good. Myth number two. According to the Bible, this is, an absol- this is absolutely untrue. Death is not good. Death is not natural. Human beings were not originally designed to die. Death is something that's been inflicted upon us because of our sin, as a punishment. So it is okay to hate death. It is okay to be angry about death. In fact, Jesus was angry at death when his friend Lazarus had died. And it is okay to see death as an enemy because that is the way it's described in the Bible as well. But we don't need to fear it if we're in Christ because Jesus has conquered death and if we belong to him, we will live beyond death in the resurrection. The third myth, everyone's happy after death. Sadly, this is not true. This is a myth. Because, as I just mentioned, for some it will be not a matter of happiness but a matter of darkness and weeping and gnashing of teeth and destruction. It's awful to think about it, but there's no sense in hiding from it. It It's better for us to prepare ourselves. You know, uh, how at the beginning of the uh, year 2000 on the Harbour Bridge they had the word eternity on New Year's Eve. And uh, it was also there in the opening ceremony of the Olympic Games. You imagine many of you know the story behind that word. All stemmed from a guy called Arthur Stace, who was converted, gave his life to Christ, not more than a couple of hundred metres from where we are right now, uh, kneeling under a fig tree one night in Victoria Park, gave his life to Christ. He was a, a man whose, whose life was really in a total mess. He was an alcoholic. He was in a really bad way. Uh, he turned to Christ and his life was turned around. And shortly after he, um, he came to Christ, he heard a sermon in which the preacher was talking about eternity and really just laying it on the line, saying to people, where are you going to spend eternity? Are you going to spend it in heaven or are you going to spend it in hell? And Arthur Stace came out of that service. He said, the word eternity was just blazed into my brain and I wanted to go out and shout it out and get people to think about eternity. Where are they going to spend eternity? And then he began writing it in beautiful copper plate writing on the footpaths of Sydney. And he did that for about 40 years, wrote it millions of times. For most of the time that he was writing it, nobody knew who was writing it. It was just a mystery. These words would just crop up on the footpath. And eventually it was discovered who it was that was writing it. Because he wanted people to think. He could see how significant the issue was. Where are people going to spend eternity, in heaven or in hell? He wanted to get them thinking. Um, a long time ago, about 150 years ago, I was leading on a study camp at um, one, of these, uh, one of these study camps where people who are doing the HSC go away a few months before the HSC and they get coaching 
you know, tutoring in their, in their subjects. And while it was a Christian camp, and so while they were there, there would be a talk by a, um, a speaker about some aspect of the Christian faith. And there was one guy on the camp whose name was Adam, who was really, he wasn't a Christian, but he was really interested in the stuff that was being talked about. And a number of us spoke to him and said, Adam, how are you going with this stuff? Like, what are you thinking? He said, well, look, I'm interested. I really am. I think there's something in it, but I just don't want to think about it right now. I just don't have the time. I've just got my HSC coming up, and I really want to focus on that, and then maybe down the track, then I'll think about this Christian stuff. It was the wrong decision. Sadly, Adam did not live to do his HSC. A few weeks later, he was bushwalking with some friends. He was crossing a creek. He slipped. He went over a waterfall, and he died. As far as I know, he never did give the Christian faith the serious thought that he should have. It is a very important issue for us all to think about. Many of you would know that. Many of you have done that already. It's important for you. It's important for your friends. It's important for your family to think about this issue. And even something that looms as large in our minds as the HSC exams or university exams is not more important than this issue. Okay, that's... uh, Myth number three, everybody's happy after death. Last one, dead people hang around. Now there's some truth in this, and the truth is that death is not the absolute end. We don't just disappear into nothingness. However, I don't know if dead people are all that interested in what's going on on earth. I don't know if dead people are even aware of what's going on on earth once they've died. The Bible doesn't doesn't, um, clarify that for us. The Bible doesn't focus on it at all, but what the Bible does focus on is that for dead people, the future is judgment. And then from judgment, either heaven or hell, depending on how they've responded to Christ. Eternal death or eternal life. That's the Bible's focus, and that should be our focus too. Okay, will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and thank you for the way it speaks truthfully. Um, on issues that people in, uh, are quite uh, pre- capable of making up all sorts of uh, lies and myths about. Thank you for the truth that sets us free. And Father, I want to s- just pray for everyone here as uh, they face exams over the next few weeks and the holidays beyond that. I pray that you keep them through that time. I pray that you would uh, bless them. But I pray, Lord, most importantly, that you'd help us all to focus on uh, that great exam that we'll face after we die and on the way that Jesus has died for us so we can come through that and have eternal life with you. And we pray this in his name. Amen.